guys. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. everyone. This week on the podcast, we have Laura Parker, Deputy Editorial Director for BuzzFeed. Laura is known for her transparent articles about living with endometriosis and what that means for her sexual health. Her forthcoming book, Vagina Problems, debuts in 2020. This episode does cover adult topics, so if you are not into that, this would be the place to pause the episode. On this episode, we discuss what the journey of living with endometriosis has been like from diagnosis to her current treatment. We also dive into the topics of living with chronic pain, painful sex, pain management, and how to still own your sexuality and sexual pleasure. Lara is no stranger to sharing her courageous journey with her community on BuzzFeed and Instagram, but we are very grateful to her for sitting down and having this really vulnerable conversation with us. We both learned a lot from Lara and hope our listeners do too. Also, we recorded this episode in a busy and vibrant LA neighborhood, so please excuse some of the light sounds of the city. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. If you have listened to our episode with founder Carly Stein, then you already know how powerful Beekeepers Naturals products are. Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees. Allie and I are absolutely obsessed with these products and have been using them consistently since December when Carly was on the podcast. So Allie, what is your favorite Beekeepers Naturals product? I love the Propolis Throat Spray. Mm. I have used it consistently through the entire winter and it's the first year of my life that I did not contract one head cold or sinus infection. Um, It's been my immune system's secret weapon, which makes sense since Propolis is basically the immune system of the beehive and has germ-fighting properties. What about you? I love the Propolis so much too, especially as somebody who always got strep throat and throat infections. It has it has actually changed my life yeah. completely. But with that said, my favorite product is the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. Bee Chill Hemp Honey delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so that you can find your bliss. Made with USA grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I sleep like a baby when I take it before bed and it seriously takes the edge off of my whole day. It also hits the spot when I'm craving something sweet after dinner, which is just an added bonus. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to try the Propolis or Bee Chill Hemp Honey or any of the other amazing products, you can receive 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals order by using the code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS, all one word, at checkout, or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash courageouswellness. And you can also find the direct link in our show notes. Hi guys, we have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy boosting treat to a health enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes.
Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk about your story. Yes, I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Um, so just to jump right in, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your wellness journey and how you kind of got into this world of being so open and sharing your personal journey? <laughs> Okay, so my wellness journey, uh, it's a lot to do with my vagina, <laughs> which is what I primarily talk about because yes. I have endometriosis and vaginismus and like interstitial cystitis and just overall pelvic floor dysfunction, which are a lot of words that don't mean a lot to mm. a lot of people. So I kind of just like started calling it vagina problems. Mm. Um, even though it's not just vaginal pain, a lot of what I write about and talk about and like a lot of the pain that I have um, has to do with penetration and intimacy like mm. I have pain with orgasming and I cannot have penetrative sex mm. and I'm a straight woman so that's like a little bit of a problem um or it has been in the past so I write a lot about that just because um it's something that I've been dealing with pretty much my entire adult life and I accidentally started writing about it um I didn't like act like I meant to do it but um I just felt like I couldn't keep it inside anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't seeing the kind of content that I wanted to see around it. Like a lot of what I was seeing was like, there's no cure. I'm depressed. My marriage ended. My husband cheated on me. Like just stuff that mm. I was like, holy shit. Like, is this my future? Like, right. that's it. Like we're just sad and in pain, which like that is a part of it. And I think those stories absolutely deserve to be told. But I also wanted this other aspect of like, like a lot of the women that I knew at the time who had it were like in their 60s and they had been married and developed it years later. And I was like, okay, well, I'm 22 and I'm in college and I want to have sex and like I want to date and I don't know how to do that. So that's like the gist of it. I think. Wow. When did you start experiencing discomfort like in this part of your body? Was it from the time you were a teenager Pretty much from the moment that I started my period, it was okay. incredibly painful, um, but I had no reference point. Like everyone was always just like, periods are painful mm -hmm. inherently. Yes. Yeah. So I think that I just kind of assumed that everyone was having this type of pain. Mm. Um, it was painful for me the first time that I attempted to be sexually active. I think I was like 16. Mm -hmm. I was in high school with my high school boyfriend. But I just assumed that it was normal again because that is what I had always been told, that sex was painful. That's right, like, at least the first time. Yes, everyone always, like that, like if you ever talk about like having sex as a straight woman, everyone's like, it's gonna hurt. Like that's yeah. just, it's like yeah, It's part of the you. conversation. Yes, yeah. so I just assumed that it was normal. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. So yeah, I, this, I had pelvic pain, but then... Um, actually went in for surgery to diagnose and treat my endometriosis in 2012 when I was 21, 20. Mm -hmm. And um, so after the surgery, everything just kind of went to hell. Mm -hmm. And that's when I developed like really bad vaginal pain. But um, it was there prior to that, like pelvic exams with a gynecologist, like mm -hmm. not comfortable. Um, they're not really comfortable for anyone. But I think looking back now, I'm aware that like it never should have been like that. Right. I always had to use like the child size speculum. Mm. I can't use like a full sized one, mm -hmm. if that's the term. Um, but no one ever told me that that wasn't normal. Yeah. So I, and I wasn't talking to people about it. You know, I wasn't going to my friends being like, hey, do you guys use the uh, child size speculum when you go yeah. to the gynecologist or what's the deal? Yeah, this, I, I, that's why we're so happy to have this conversation with you because I think a lot of women experience this in some form, but feel shame to talk about it. Totally. So yeah, we're, thank you again for being no, so yeah. open yeah, about for this conversation. But just um, before we even dive deeper, for anyone listening who doesn't know, can you explain what endometriosis is and vagi vagin vaginismus? Vaginismus. Yeah. yeah. So endometriosis is a condition in which tissue grows outside of where it's supposed to grow. Mm. Um, and it can cause a lot of different side effects, which can be confusing because um, it can show up differently in a lot of people. Yeah. So my symptoms specifically were problems with digestion, um, an always swollen stomach and like extremely painful periods. Mm. But some women or some people with endometriosis like don't even know that they have it until they try to reproduce and mm. have a lot of problems. So it mm. can also cause trouble with reproduction yeah. and painful sex and like 
I have nausea. I have like pain all over my body. It's just like, I have lower back pain. Like some people can have endometriosis in their lungs, like thoracic Mm -hmm. endometriosis. Like you can have trouble breathing. Like it's just like, it's very confusing. But for Mm. one of the most common ways that they diagnose it is, um, well, they can only diagnose it through surgery, but like the common symptoms are like very painful periods, painful sex, and like a swollen abdomen situation Mm. a lot of the time. So I am not very good at describing what endometriosis is to like an outside perspective. I think like, like a, I always try and like not say it the way that a doctor would, because that's how it was always said to me. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Like Mm -hmm. just like break it down for me. Um, but it's also hard to describe because it's like, it's a thing that wrecks so many people's lives that I feel like no matter what I say, it's not going to like give it the yeah. power that it needs because mm-hmm. you can be like oh yeah it's like ruining my life but like people say that about like having a hangover like it's mm-hmm. you know like I want it to like be understood like the depth of what it's doing yeah. to the world and like to the people who have it while also like not making it like a research paper that someone's like I don't know what you're talking about absolutely right well, yeah no you made it really clear and and very it's not one size fits all totally. absolutely right everybody has anybody who's suffering with it can have a different sort of experience with it yes and that's what makes it so confusing while also uniting people who have it because it's like all of us are just like suffering and no one can give us a reason why like we know why but like we don't know what causes it we don't know we don't have a cure we have very little treatment options so we just kind of like rely on one another because the medical system has failed us and like continues to fail us yeah. And then what is vaginismus? Oh, yes. So vaginismus is basically when your pelvic floor muscles, like your vagina, um, are in a lot of pain. Mm. So it's commonly diagnosed because of you have trouble with penetration. Okay. But I also, for the longest time, couldn't have tampons. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. wear tampons, mm-hmm. um, anything like that. Like fingering was a situation if it was like going inside of me. Um yeah, it's just like a term for vaginal pain. And it has to do with like the muscles yeah. in the vagina? Yeah, so it's like the pelvic floor muscles yeah. um, tightness, basically. Okay. Just like constantly like a clenched fist. Okay. Mm. Um, so like in a contracted position yeah. and unable to relax Yes. in a way. Um, yeah, and okay. like a lot of people will be like, do Kegels, and that's like, so fucking annoying because that's like literally the op- like it's all red tight. Like yeah, yeah like I don't yeah. need to do kegels. Um, that's not gonna fucking fix me. But yeah, so they they don't know what causes that either. Okay. But I have thought a lot about it over the years, and for me personally, it almost feels like my body's like reaction from being in so much pain from endometriosis mm. that it was just like fuck this like I have a shield up forever yeah Yeah. um and I also think that having the surgery like kind of triggered that too because it was very invasive and yeah it just didn't react well surgery can be incredible in some ways and it it can help people heal but it's also trauma to the body yeah Mm -hmm. and um and the body is incredible in the way that sometimes it can adapt and grow back, for lack of a better word. Like, I've gone through multiple surgeries myself, which I've talked about. And it's, um, but but no matter what, it's, it's trauma and mm-hmm. invasive yeah. to the body. Right. And the body will overcompensate. And I, I just, I can really, I haven't had that in my, like, pelvic region, but even having back surgeries... Mm-hmm. Um, where other parts of your back start to like, I have I have tight parts of my lower back, even though my back surgery was on the upper back, and it for years can like overcompensate. Yes. So it makes it's yeah. trying to protect you, right? Like yeah. our body is just like there's this like great little um, you know, quote that's like there's millions of things in your body and they're all just trying to work and survive for you. Like that's you know, in one sense, it's like it's trying to help you. Totally. It's just not helping you the way no, you want to yeah. be. Right? It's helped. like hard. I've had like a very complicated relationship with my body, like with my vagina and like the area that like is supposed to represent femininity, I guess for me has always been like my enemy. Yeah. And it's been really hard to get myself to a point where I don't hate my body for what it's done to me and like realize that like it's doing the best it can actually. And like it's protecting me or it's trying to. Yeah. I can imagine 
how frustrating and angering it yes. must be. How did you get to that point, you know, where you started to be able to like love and be kind to yourself? It has not been easy. And to be honest, I'm still not there sometimes. Yeah, like, you know, it's a day by day process. And I think that's like what has helped me the most is just taking it day by day yeah. and saying, okay, I need to surrender today. My body is not doing what I need it to do. Yeah. My therapist helped me a lot. I'm in therapy. I have been for the last five years and my therapist actually has an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. So I feel like she has a level of understanding that like your average therapist who doesn't have any sort of chronic yeah. ailment wouldn't have. And we always talk about like, I have this like power struggle with this illness and I feel so out of control of my life all of the time. And so when I'm forced to like lay on the couch for 12 hours at a time because I feel like shit, I feel like, God damn it. Like, why can't I have control over my own life? Like Mm -hmm. I can't even make the decision of whether or not I'm going to get off the couch. Like that is infuriating. And it is like, it just makes you feel the lowest of low. And so we talked about like reframing that. Because she was like, technically, you could get off the couch. You could. You could Mm. force yourself out of the house. But at what cost? Like, how would you feel? What would it do to your body? So instead, you take the power back and you say, okay, yeah, I could get up. But I'm making the decision not to because I know that it's what's best for my body. Mm -hmm. And I'm surrendering to the pain. So it's like, it helped me to just reframe it. And so I try and reframe a lot of my thinking around my illness now because it's really it's a mind game yeah. at the end of the day. Like I'm going to be in pain no matter what, but it's, it's how I respond to it that determines like how long it lasts, how I feel about it emotionally, like that type of thing. So I think that's been the biggest turning point for me is trying to constantly reframe and like, just be kind to myself Yeah, because it's like, I'm, I have to be on my own side. Like yeah, I just yeah. have to be, we all have to be right. Because like at the end of the day, we're all we have, like we have other people for sure. But like, when I'm on that couch for 12 hours by myself, like it's me and me, you know, and right. I got to be like, okay with that person. Yeah. I yeah. think that's really good advice sort of for anybody. Right. Totally. Um, can I, I ask you, can I just ask you like going back to your earlier days where you said, you know, I, I was suffering pain, but I didn't know that what I was suffering was not normal. Mm-hmm. Right. When do you feel like was the turning point, in college, do you remember like a moment where you're like, maybe what's going on here is not what it should be? I think it was, it came in waves. Like it's, it's a problem because I think every time I had that realization of being like, something is not right, I would go to the doctor and they would tell me you're fine. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this constant back and forth in my own brain of like, are you imagining this? Are you losing your mind? something isn't right. No, you're just crazy. Like it was just like this constant war with myself. And it took me a really long time to get to the place where like, like I knew something wasn't right. Like, you know, yeah, you know, know. absolutely. But every time I would go, I would be told this different thing. And like, no one else seemed to be experiencing it. Like my friends would talk about their periods and they'd be like, Oh, I had to take Advil this month. And I was like, what do you mean this month? Like, I'm like, overdosing on Advil to the point where like I'm making myself sick because I'm in so much pain and I was just like am I just dramatic like am I just bad at handling the pain is everyone else just like dealing with it better so I think I it was always at that point but it was like a war with myself because like I said every time I would go to the doctor they would be like no you're fine mm-hmm. yeah you know and I think that part too where you're like nobody else was talking about it or everyone would talk about their pain and you'd, you'd almost feel like well maybe my pain tolerance is just lower yes. I knew someone who, when they started having sex, said it was extremely painful and they, they would have a lot of pain during intercourse to the point where they couldn't have it. Mm -hmm. And I was so young that we would just joke that like, maybe that's her vagina's litmus test. If like Mm -hmm. the guy, cause we just didn't know we were like, and, and her doctors would say she was fine and everything was fine. And we were just too now, if any of my friends came to me and were like, Hey, sex is painful. I would be such, but when you're like 18 years old, 17, you just, you don't know because no one, no one's like, Hey, and I think it's to a conversation in like the way we talk about female pleasure in general, like you said, it's like sex is going to be painful. Mm -hmm. Sex is painful. It's all about male pleasure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So 
we're not raised to be like sex should be pleasurable no. and it shouldn't be painful. Yeah. So we and just, no one like has ever, that's the thing that I've realized in the last six months or so about going through this is that what I really wanted from someone in the medical world or just in my life in general was to tell me that it's okay that I was mad about not being able to get pleasure from Mm -hmm. sex. Everyone always acted like it was this thing that like, okay, sure. Yeah. You have painful sex, but like you're not dying. And it's like, no, I'm allowed to experience pleasure. And when that is taken away from you and replaced with such a painful thing, like just every doctor was just like, I don't know, like, maybe you just can't have sex. If a man went and was like, yo, I can't have sex without, like, crying because it hurts so bad, he would be like, let me get you a new dick, you know? like Immediately. And, I mean, it's like even guys who, the way we deal with ED uh, culturally is, like, totally totally different. different. I hate when people compare the two because it's like, listen, I am not here to shit on people with ED. Like, that is real. And it should be talked about more. But you've also had pills on the market for fucking 50 years yeah. now. It's not the same. It's not, it's not the same, same at when all. When women go to doctors and say, I am having painful sex, the things that are I was told and other people are told over and over again is drink wine, try a different position, man up. Just deal with it. And it's like, that is insane. That is insane. That is insane. insane. Yes. Sorry, my this is a podcast, but like my mouth is is I'm just gaping open. I, I'm, yeah, like it, and I think yeah, yeah. I feel speechless just having totally. this conversation. But so yeah, as we as we you know are talking about to your experience in the medical community, I think you know even talking about right, like you found the right therapist who mm-hmm. you really feel like can relate to you, and and I think it can be so hard to find doctors and medical professionals you can trust because people have terrible experiences in therapy with doctors, with everything. And even myself, therapy has changed my life. It took me three therapists to find my person. One made faces at me at my first session, but I was fortunate that someone told me going into it, you have to like shop for your doctor. Right. But I think people don't know they have to shop for their doctor. And it's just not accessible to to shop for a doctor. And it's, and they don't, you know, they, like it, it's a process to go on your insurance homepage and like for sure. Google and if find if you even have insurance. If they even you. take it, yeah. So what was your process like? Did you for your treatments that I would love to discuss, like what you're doing and what you've done to help alleviate some of your pain? But was there a time when you found the right doctor, or like how did you navigate that process, or has it been you've just had to do it on your own? Okay, yeah. So. I found some good doctors. Yeah. I still don't feel like I've found the right. But the thing that I've realized is that it's not a doctor. It's yeah. a team of doctors, which is what I'm starting to realize. Like, I need a pelvic floor physical therapist. I need a painful sex doctor. I need an endometriosis specialist. I need a chiropractor, an acupuncturist. Like, I need them all to work in tandem, which is something that it's taken me a long time to realize. Because I think also, like, Western medicine kind of is just like, go to the doctor, they'll fix you no matter Mm -hmm. what. That's like not realistic, especially for something like endometriosis. And I think the problem so often is that people think, okay, it's like in your ovary area, it's in your pelvic floor region. So we're only going to look at that area, which is a huge mistake because it absolutely affects your entire body. If a part of your body is in pain, your entire body is going to react to it, period. Mm -hmm. Like that's just how bodies work. So like I take a much more holistic approach these days, but it's been really hard because I used to live in Indiana. There's much less treatment options there. There's much less doctors available. I think moving to California was one of the best things that I could do for myself. Um, and you know, it's just, it's having to have the courage, which is so hard to a doctor when you've been through so much with doctors and you're in pain and you're sad to stand up and say, you're not giving me the treatment I deserve. You work for me. You're not doing your fucking job you're fired basically that is so hard yeah but it's something that I have had to practice so much and just like keep telling myself like they work for me they work for me and if someone doesn't do something that I like like at this point I feel like I know more about endometriosis than 99% of doctors I've ever Mm. met which Mm -hmm. is insane because I don't know that much about it I just live with it like I I've never like you know I barely passed biology like (laughs) I don't know shit so it's like that should not be how it is for a 
condition that affects 200 million people. Like that is just unacceptable, but it's just a process. And it's like, that's what the endometriosis community has become in many ways. It's just like doctor recommendations Mm -hmm. because if one person sees one and they're like, wow, that doctor was so different than every other doctor I've seen, then the chances are that like the rest of us are going to want to see them too, because that's how shitty doctors have been to all of us. That it's like truly like Yelp, but word of mouth. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. And I like that you're, you know, I think it's actually a generational thing that this generation is starting to become our own health advocates, mostly because we've had to. Totally. And, but I do see that like in previous generations, especially I would say like two back, maybe our grandparents' generation, where it was like the doctor's always right. Mm-hmm. And I see as that generation is now like, in their 80s, 90s, and even beyond, or if they're still alive, you know, and dealing with things that, health issues that come up typically later in life, yeah. it's just like whatever, whatever says go, like yeah. whatever the doctor there's no says, there's no, no, and no. it's just like the doctor knows best. Mm-hmm. And that sort of mentality is, hasn't served us. It's not true. I mean, no one is perfect. No. And there are some amazing doctors out there. But also, like, to think that there's going to be anybody who's going to be more of an advocate for your own health other than Mm -hmm. you, like, is Mm -mm. incorrect. No, absolutely. And so just to even give that message, I think that's really important, like, for anybody who's dealing with any kind of health thing or even questioning is this off? Do I feel something off? My doctor says it's not off, but I feel like something's off. Right. You have to trust yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, You're I, the one living I feel body. really passionate about this subject oh, because totally. I was told to ignore something by a doctor that wound up being cancer. Yeah. Jesus. So, um, I love <laughs> that I'm hearing sort of like the advocacy for yourself because, totally. you know, it's sometimes it's tough when you have to learn that the hard way. Oh yeah. And I was like super fortunate, like in the way that I learned it, but you know what I mean? Like trust yourself. Yeah. So with your treatment then, Mm -hmm. how have you found treatment that has worked for you? Has treatment worked for you? No. Yes. And no, the problem with endometriosis, there's a lot of problems, but the main one is that the gold star treatment currently is an excision surgery. Mm. There are a lot of problems with that. A, it's extremely invasive. B, insurance often doesn't cover it. Or B, surgeons who perform it do not actually take insurance because insurance companies give them like a fraction of the money that it actually requires. The skill, the time, there's not very many people who do it. Um, It's expensive. It's a long recovery time. And... I have not yet gotten the excision surgery, but I had the other surgery, which is very common. It's called the ablation surgery. So you actually cannot be diagnosed with endometriosis without surgery, which is also a problem. Yeah. Because that's insane. Um, It's insane. It's insane. The ablation surgery is where they go in and just laser off the endometriosis. Mm -hmm. But what they found out recently is that it's actually only lasering off like the top layer. So it's ineffective like it's essentially doing nothing for me the surgery actually made everything a hundred times worse so I have straight up diagnosed PTSD from that surgery because I went into it thinking I found this thing that's going to help me and when I woke up and a month later I was in way more pain and like I just felt like it was the biggest mistake I'd ever made the thing that it did give me was my diagnosis but that surgery I've had and the reason that I've avoided doing excision surgery outside of the fact that it's extremely expensive only a few doctors do it is because I'm fucking scared of course I'm terrified and I think it's really bothers me that like the only option I'm given is an option that may or may not help me like it's it could actually make it worse or it could do nothing it's not a cure. It's yeah. like just the best thing they have. And the best thing they have is like a surgery that costs thousands of dollars and may or may not help you. Like I just, so it's actually something that I am meeting with a surgeon in September to consider getting it. Um, because I feel like I'm out of options and in many ways, like I've made a lot of progress. Like I rely heavily on medical marijuana. Like that's actually how I medicate these days. Mm-hmm. I don't take anything else. I don't do anything else but I'm still in pain all of the time. Yeah. Um, and I'm just getting to the point where 
I'm 28 and like this has been happening for a decade now so it's like what do I do like I don't I don't feel like I get a choice and that's been something like I'm you can hear I'm like tearing up talking about it because it's just like I don't feel like I get to make that decision like I feel like it's either try this surgery or like continue to get more sick every year and like maybe you won't be able to hold down your job because you can't work full-time anymore like what kind of life will I have Mm. so I feel like I have to try the surgery even though it scares the shit out of me Mm. you know you're so courageous and I think as as scary and as awful right as this is I think so many women live with this pain in silence and I think because so many women live with this pain in silence which isn't their fault. It's the society that we live in. And women have so much shame around sex for Mm -hmm. so many different reasons. But, you know, you're using your platform to really spotlight these issues that aren't talked about. And I think doing that is going to create a ripple effect that will create change and will force the medical community, the more people talk about it, mm-hmm. to do more research yeah. And, yeah. and to give other women the courage to be like, hey, I have painful sex too, mm-hmm. or I have all this pain and I've just been Dealing. living with it yeah. because okay. my doctor says drink a glass of wine. Oh my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. And how, that, that being said, I mean, you have somehow created a really kind of amazing life in the sense that like, the work that you do, this platform that you've built, mm-hmm. um, you're writing a book about this now, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And how have you managed to do that? I honestly don't know. Sometimes, <laughs> like, I, I think what I always want people to understand is that I am in an, an incredibly, like, I'm in an incredibly privileged position, and I am still in pain every day. Yeah. Um, I have a very understanding job that has unlimited sick days that, and I can also work from home. I'm in a unique position because I, my job, I, it's not all writing about it, but a lot of my job is literally writing about my health issues and that's not how it started, but it's like just kind of what it's turned into. So it's, it's really hard for my company to be like, sorry, we don't think you can have another sick day because it's like, how can, you know, I'm writing about all, it's like what, what my job is. Um, so I think, you know, I am in a unique position, but I think I also, you know, what you're talking about, like these people who don't have a voice like that really motivates me. Um, and it has lit this fire under me where I am like, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. Like I want this shit changed. And if it takes me never shutting the hell up about it and continually talking about it and screaming until someone does something about it, like I want to do that because I feel like it's the only thing that makes me feel like I'm fighting back against this thing that has taken so much from me. Yeah. Like I don't have any way other way to fight back. And so I feel like me trying to like continue to have a life and like do the things that I like, like endometriosis be damned. I'm going to drink a fucking glass of wine tonight. I don't care if you're mad about it. Like it makes me feel like I'm fighting back and that's what I need because without that, I don't feel like I have a life worth living sometimes. Absolutely. And you're absolutely a pioneer in this movement that's going to continue to grow and create change. And I I love too that you acknowledge, right, like the privilege you have, because I think that's what's missing so much sometimes in wellness in general is obviously we can't fix the issue in a podcast or in a conversation, but acknowledging it, Mm -hmm. I think still gives a voice to this greater issue of like people who are living in chronic pain but have to go to work oh, right yeah. from right. eight to six every oh, yeah. day so they can't, if they take a day off they get fired exactly like so and who may not have the resources to even go see a doctor exactly or uh, they can only see one doctor and if right. that doctor doesn't give them the answers that they want I mean they can't go see seven of them until right. they get an answer they don't even get the opportunity and again in shop. a male pleasure culture some women don't even they're like well it's, it's not about my pleasure, oh, right? Totally. So even to like care about your own pleasure is such, is so fortunate too. And, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, I'm sure a lot of women who struggle with this, right? Like how, maybe there's fear around relationships. Mm-hmm. So especially in the beginning. So I would love to talk about how you've navigated committed relationships mm-hmm. um, without being able to have penetrative sex. Totally. You know, it's funny. I recently 
like a year ago got out of like a three and a half year relationship and you know I've dated quite a few men in my time I could always date more (laughs) I'm working on it but it's something that I always thought that not being able to have penetrative sex prior to getting into relationships and prior to where I am now would be like this huge elephant in the room that would be a deal breaker and that anyone who knew that would just be like no way I'm not gonna date you like but then I started to as I got older and like the more I talked to people and the more I just experimented on my own, like I realized that like having a sex life does not mean having penetrative sex. And a lot of people don't even get off on penetration. Like a lot of women do not orgasm from penetrative sex. So I actually just started to reframe again, love reframing. That's my (laughs) theme of the night. Um, Reframing the way that I thought about sex. And, you know, I actually, honest to God, look at it as kind of a good thing now Mm -hmm. because it forces me and my partner to communicate and Mm -hmm. to experiment. And we cannot rely on the same old thing ever because who knows how I'm going to feel on any given day. So it's like, do I wish that I could have penetrative sex? Yes. But I just really don't even look at it as like a factor anymore. Like it's just kind of become this thing that's like, if I'm getting intimate with someone, I'm like, Hey, I just like, don't do penetration. Like, it's like some people don't like oral. Some people don't do sex toys. Yeah, right. I don't do penetration. Like it is what it is. And I think being able to own it and talk about it in that way and not say, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Or like be really ashamed or embarrassed yeah. has completely changed the way people react to it. And it's just like, if someone isn't willing to figure out how else to have sex with me, then like, sorry, but they suck at sex. Right. Like they just suck. Like, yeah, they're probably not worth having sex with. A hundred percent. Do not fuck people who can't do that (laughs) rule. Um, yeah. So I think like getting over the hump of the sex thing was like, honestly, the easy part, not Mm. easy. It took a lot of time and I'm still getting there, but it's like, it's more so what I struggle more so in relationships now is feeling like a burden or feeling like I'm lucky that people date me or that I have to settle because I come with so many issues. And that's something that I've, A, was kind of reinforced to me in past relationships and B, something that I think a lot of people with a chronic illness or a mental illness, like whatever it is, feel that way. And that's wrong. It's just wrong. It is. Because what I've realized and what I remind myself of all the time is that everyone has baggage. Everyone. Like if you think that Jake at the bar across from you doesn't have baggage, like you're wrong. Mm -hmm. He does. And it's probably heavier than yours, Mm -hmm. quite honestly, because the way I look at it is like, I know what my baggage is. I'm dealing with it. I'm facing it head on. I'm working on it every day. What's Jake doing? Mm -hmm. Is he even in therapy? Probably not. You (laughs) know? Yeah. And you're forced in a way, well, you're not forced, but you've made the choice to talk about it. Yeah. And so in that way, that keeps you dealing with it every single totally. day and it's on the surface and versus like Jake, I have poor Jake, yeah. but Jake, well, you know, Jake's. Jake's shit is probably real deep down. Oh, yeah. And like, He's like you never said, even talked about it. everybody has it. And I think anybody who wants to focus more on your shit than their shit, oh, yeah. that's, that's like a telltale sign right away. It's like, like you said, we all have baggage. Yeah. So it's like, if you're not working on yourself, like totally. don't come at me for, and every relationship has problems. Oh, yeah. Every relationship has problems. So, but I do, I think, yeah, I think I know people who live with lupus and chronic illness and you know, it, 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 it can hard. be a challenge. It's absolutely hard. Yeah. It's, it's like, a different challenge. I mean, it's awful. Like you, I mean, Listen, the way that I always tell my therapist when I'm sad about it is like, I don't want to live this life of pain. How can I expect someone else to want to? But the thing is, is like, if you love someone, it doesn't fucking matter. No. It doesn't matter. No. And you don't know what's going to come in life, right? No one is guaranteed health. No one's guaranteed health. People develop depression. People get laid off from their jobs. People have miscarriages and pregnancy like you can't predict Mm -mm. life so like like you said at least you're you're like here's what oh yeah what's going on you know as opposed to it's just yeah it's just it's a fantasy for people to think there's not going to be any struggle and we actually did a great episode with um she's a she has a phd in mythology and she talks a lot about fairy tale oh yeah dr Um, britta bushnell dr britta bushnell and it was a great episode about she actually works a lot with childbirth and transitions yeah so she talks though about basically like 
people really set themselves up for disaster when they live in fantasy. Oh, totally. Because no relationship is not going to have struggle. Mm -hmm. No relationship is not going to have massive change Mm -hmm. and transition. And, you know, I think think that makes people struggle even more when they go into situations being like, oh, it's going to be rainbows and sunshine all the time. It's also reinforced. Like, I have actually had people say to my exes in the past, like, that's so nice of you that you're dating her. Like you're, and it's like, that has been said more than one time. Like, and it's also just kind of reinforced in our society that Mm -hmm. like the way that you are is wrong in some way. If you can't please a man. Yes. And it's like, Oh my it's God. really changing our culture. Yeah. Because it's also like, you know, women cheat all the time too, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, we have all these like gender roles and like, like men need to be pleased, but it's like women need to be pleased oh, yeah. too. Our, I, I just think our pleasure matters so much, but we're not taught. No, totally. no one ever talked to me about my sexual pleasure. No, no, I didn't ever. even know you could orgasm from sex. No. Like, I had, I knew people who like shared with me when they left um, their home, like, to go off to school or something like that, like, had never even been taught about their own anatomy. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's an education issue. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting. I think... I don't know why this became this way, but, like, I had... um, Friends, I think I just really wanted, I really wanted to learn about my own anatomy, of course. especially in college. And I'm sort of like a closeted science and like biology yeah. nerd. Like I never pursued that part of my life. I went into the arts, but there was always part of me that wanted to. And so I started like learning about how my body works and how like, especially the female reproductive system and all that. Cause I wanted to know, especially when you're on birth control oh, and going yeah. through all different things. And it's like, um, and then I had friends who started to call me and I was like, how did I become like the vagina doctor? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you no need a probiotic, else. my oh, friends, my you know, God. like those yeah. kinds of things. Like I'm having an issue and I'm like, okay, well cut the sugar, that kind of stuff, you know, but it's like things like that, even that we're not taught that like we have a microbiome there Oh yeah. and all the importance of that. And it's just like, we're all educated women. Yeah. No, for sure. And have that privilege. Yeah, yeah. I just, like, having this conversation is really making me think, like, the way my friends and I talked about sex was so, like, it, like we didn't even really talk about it in a real no. way. We didn't talk about pleasure. We didn't we didn't really talk about sex in a real way other than, like, oh, did you sleep with him? Yeah, did you totally. hook up with him? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, cool. Like, mm-hmm. was it good? Like, it wasn't anything deeper than, like, basically, like, surface-level questions and I'm just, I'm just like, my mind is blown here too about how it's just, it's such a, it's a, it's a huge shame. And yeah. I hope it is changing for the next for generation. It will. Can I ask yeah. you a question that's probably, I don't know if it's like one of these questions that you probably, I mean, you talk about everything, so I'm just going to go out yeah. there. How does it affect, like, I know endometriosis can affect fertility mm-hmm. and, um, how how do you feel about that? Because mm-hmm. I know not not every woman wants to yeah. ultimately have children, and that's absolutely fine and like a very valid. Like we talk about all the different, you know, we hate like when it's like you're a woman, so you oh, need to yeah. be, like when no, are you gonna have a baby? That. Or you do yeah. you feel terrible that you can't have a baby? None of that. But I just mean like as a part of like if that is a part of what mm. you want for your life, how do you feel about that? How do you navigate that? I actually have no desire to have children of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is in large part due to the fact that I feel like I've experienced enough trauma in that mm-hmm. region of my life to mm-hmm. last 17 lifetimes. Yeah. And I actually don't trust doctors to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I were to go through birth, like giving birth, um, that something would go wrong. And, you know, for black women in America, that's like actually a very real fear because yeah. it happens all of the time. Yeah. Statistically, it's like off the charts. Yeah, it's insane. And it's just like, I just have no desire. But when I first was diagnosed with endometriosis and like started learning about what it could mean for fertility and knowing that I had like increased, like incredibly painful sex. I kind of like had that realization when I was like 21, 22 mm-hmm. that like, I'm not sure I will ever be able to have children. And I think what upset me the most wasn't 
it was like a not being given the choice like I want to make that decision but b it made me feel like I was worth less in a relationship Mm -hmm. so here I am not being able to have sex with my partner penetrative sex and now I might not be able to have their kids like that's pretty much like what we're told is like what we're supposed to do right like yeah and so I think that was what was hard for me to wrestle with which makes me really sad because it's like I mean, there are so many ways to become a mom if that's the choice that I choose to make someday down the line. But it's like, you know, that's not what we're told. We're kind of like, you're supposed to be a mom. And if you don't want to be a mom or if you can't be a mom, then like something's wrong with you. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so hard for, right, like the younger you are, right? Like when we're young and when we're faced with any sort of issue, right? Any sort of chronic illness, any sort of sexual pain, any sort of discomfort, displeasure, it's so much harder because we feel so alone. And I think that's the great thing about the internet and the articles you write and the book you're going to be writing, which we definitely want to talk about. But, you know, I think it's now as a 30 year old woman, I'm like, fuck having kids. Oh yeah, (laughs) That's your choice or like sexual pain, like everything you're saying. I'm like, if the man doesn't want that, like, bye. Like next, like it's on him. Thank you next. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but when you're 18, 19, 20, 16, totally you feel so different. And that's such a time when you just want to feel the same, right? You don't. And it's just, yeah. So I think, again, like, I think, you know, the internet and social media gets a really bad rap a lot of the time because there is such a negative side to it. But I think what's great is hopefully anybody experiencing this who's listening or who has an Instagram page can can find you, can type in the hashtag, you know, painful sex or, and find a community with resources that they might feel isolated from otherwise. A hundred percent. Absolutely. What do you recommend for anyone listening who feels pain during sex and doesn't know what to do or where to go, or they're going to their OBGYN and they're just like, yeah, deal with it. Yeah. If accessible, if you have the resources, go to a different doctor. If your doctor is not taking you seriously, they work for you. They're not doing their job. The other thing I would say is that painful sex is not normal, period, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. There is no but, there is no and. Like if sex is painful for you, something is not right. Mm -hmm. And that is something that needs to be looked into. I would try and find a pelvic floor specialist or a pelvic floor physical therapist if they can. Yeah, Those can be kind of hard to find depending on where you live but they do exist and they probably if not help you if they can't help you they will point you in the direction of someone who can and is google the best way so if you have endometriosis specifically and you're looking for a doctor there's a facebook group called nancy's nook n-o-o-k and it has a list of reputable doctors for pelvic pain and like vaginismus and painful sex i am not aware of a place like that yet but Googling or finding Facebook groups or getting on Instagram, that has been the best way for me. Mm. Um, Maybe there is something out there that exists. There probably is. I just don't know about it. But I would say, yeah, pelvic pain specialist. And what do pelvic floor specialists do? So my pelvic floor physical therapy has like ranged, but I mean, they actually do internal work. Like mm, they will mm-hmm. stick your, their hand and their finger in your vagina. They get you to do a lot of pelvic floor exercises, a lot of stretching and then like dilator work. Do you know what dilators are? It's stretching? Yeah. So it's like, Literally. This, it looks kind of like a dildo, but it's not. And it stretches your vaginal muscles. Mm-hmm. There's like six different sizes when I started out years ago, I was on the first size, which is essentially the size of a pinky finger to give you like some sort of context. And now, you know, I've gotten to the place where I can handle the one that's like the size of a regular sized penis. The problem now is like the thrusting movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like if sex was just a penis sitting inside my vagina, I might be able to do it, (laughs) but that's unfortunately not what it is. Um, so yeah, that, that's a lot of what a pelvic floor physical therapy mm-hmm. is. Um, they also deal with like incontinence too yes. for a lot of people. I I know one. So yeah. and yeah, and she's amazing, but she's taught told me a lot about what oh, she yeah. does. And it's great also for young people to like be aware of that. Whether they're yes. dealing with pain or not, like it's such an important region of the body oh, yeah. too. So like the fact that like okay, here's 
here's what I think. Every single person who gives birth should go see a pelvic floor physical mm-hmm. therapist. And like none of them are told to. Like it's like, oh, after you have birth, you just like pee sometimes when you laugh. Like that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. That's like actually not okay. And yeah. like there are physical therapists who can help you with that. Well, and I was reading, like you said, like everything in our body is very connected. So I was just reading an article about like the importance of the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And it is connected to like everything oh, else yeah. in your body. So yeah. it's, yeah. But again, like, I had never heard of a pelvic floor specialist, especially oh, yeah. in my early 20s or no, even in my same. mid-20s. It was When they first told me to go to physical therapist for my vagina, I was like, are you insane? <laughs> what am I going to go? So, like, are there, you know, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Also, just to point out, we have a lot of female listeners, but we have some male listeners too. And I also know this is like something like men sometimes like tune out pelvic floor mm-hmm. women giving birth. You guys have one too. Oh yeah. You should go too. <laughs> and like... Yeah, you should go to. Yeah. It's an important part of your body, especially later in life. Oh, yeah. 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 I think, too, I think, again, we should talk to our friends about it. I know Allie and I, like, even ahead of coming to see you, like, we've had so many conversations about our vaginas. Yeah, I love <laughs> and that. I, honestly, and, like, we were talking about how we even, you know, again, I'm a 30 year old woman and like, I've never had this many conversations about my vagina with a friend because it doesn't call me. Yeah. She's a New Yorker. She's like, yeah. talk to me about anything. But you know, we were, t- and I just think it, it's so freeing to talk about your vagina oh, with yeah. your girlfriends. So I think like, again, just continuing to have these conversations is a big step in taking away the shame attached to our bodies. Yeah. You know, I that, think that's what it comes down to ultimately. Like, like, which is so body shame. Yes. Yeah. It's like ancient too. Oh, it's yeah. like, where did this come from? Yeah. So, and it's not ours. It's like been given to us. So totally. it's not ours. We have to, we have to share these stories. So you're releasing a book next year. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what people can expect? So I'm writing like a collection of essays. Um, It's entitled Vagina Problems, but it's going to be essays about endometriosis, painful sex, and like other taboo topics. The main reason I wanted to write it, A, besides the fact that I'm writing it kind of for myself and kind of just like going on this journey and like seeing how far I've come is because a lot of the books on the market about this stuff are either from a doctor's perspective or like a very heavy medical researchy perspective. Mm -hmm. And personally, like when I was going through all of this, I had all of those books and like, they didn't help me. Like it was just like a lot of jargon and like do these exercises and you'll cure yourself. And like Mm -hmm. when I didn't cure myself, I was like, cool, I'm a fucking failure. Like whatever. I wanted a book that just was like, hey, this sucks. It sucks that you have painful sex, but like we're in it together. Like that's, I wanted it to be like kind of like a guidebook, like something that I wish that I had had when I was first diagnosed to A, know that I was not alone and B, know that like, you know, I could still have a sex life. I could still date. I can still be like a desired person and like talk about orgasming and like do whatever. So that's like my goal with this is to just kind of, I want it to feel like a friend. Um, when you pick it up and just know, like, I'm having a bad day, but at least I'm not alone. That's, that's so beautiful. That's awesome. Can I ask you about your friends and family? Like, you are so open. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's easier to be open with people we don't know than it is to, the, like, the closest people in our lives. Do you, um, does that, do you ever, like, struggle with that? With how much you, like, are so candid, especially, like, on the internet? Yeah. No. You know, I... I honestly don't even think about it. I think I am so destigmatized to it that honestly saying that my vagina hurts is the same as saying I have a headache. Like mm-hmm. I don't think about it anymore until I see someone's face. Like if I'm talking about it like around my cousins or like sometimes I'll like put a bunch of vibrators on my Instagram story and I'll see that my brother saw it and I'm <laughs> like, okay, that's a little weird. But like to me it's like this is who I am and yeah. like it's shit that needs to be talked about. It just doesn't bother me anymore. Like me and like sometimes I say like, oh maybe it should and then I'm like, no, no it shouldn't. It should, no, it should not. Yeah. And we gotta take, I'm telling you, we have to take the power back because men talk about oh, their yeah. sexual pleasure all the time porn, everything. Like we all know men masturbate. Like oh, right? Yeah. Like we all just know it and it's talked about and but we don't talk about that with oh, no. women. It's right? like expected for little boys to like 
grow up into preteens and start masturbating. But like, what about girls? Yeah. And, and yeah, that's why I love that you post about vibrators and talk about sexual health because your sexual wellness is important. Even if you can't have penetrative, right? Like even whatever sexual wellness is for you is important. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a human. Yeah. And (laughs) desire that. Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, masturbating was like the thing that changed my life Mm. because for so many years I associated pain, trauma, sadness, anger with that region of my body and it fell off limits to me and I had to like reconnect with my body Absolutely. and I wasn't able to masturbate for many years. I wasn't able to orgasm at all without Mm -hmm. extreme pain and the first day that I got to the point where I had an orgasm that like was painful but I wasn't like unable to do it was like holy shit, maybe I can actually have a sex life. It was Mm -hmm. like a turning point Mm -hmm. in my life. So masturbating to me, like the reason I talk about it so much outside of just that I love it is that it was actually really important to my health overall because without it, I think my muscles would be a lot worse and I mentally would be a lot worse because I would still be in that place where I'm like, I can't have sex at all. And I'm a very sexual person. It's important to me, especially in relationships. It's the way I express myself. Mm -hmm. So to have that taken away from me was fucking devastating. And now I feel like I have a part of it back. Like I can't have penetrative sex, but I can orgasm. Yeah. That's so incredible. That's so incredible. I think female masturbation is really important. And I think a lot of people can feel a lot of shame around it or not mm-hmm. know where to begin. But I yeah, think it's like embarrassing. Yeah. But I think it is really important, regardless of if you're in a relationship or not, to just really like honor and love yourself in that way yes. and get to know yourself in such a sensual intimate way that's just so personal like actually well that's the thing like sexuality femininity whatever it's such a beautiful important like incredible thing that we don't honor you know so I think we should honor you know (laughs) I do think that there is more like the more female driven content or create I should say like created or produced content that is like happening the more it's becoming a little bit more mainstream to see. Yeah. It was never really, like, seen. Like, I was never really shown. I don't remember that on in TV or movies oh, yeah. growing up. But now I, like, see it pretty regularly. Yeah. But usually it's from female-produced content mm-hmm. because it's a part of these stories of these women. Like, yeah. I even saw it on Big Little Lies the other night, yeah. right? I mean, I'll time date this episode. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a more commonly shown aspect of a woman's experience than it was even, like, a couple years ago. Totally. Like, I remember when, um, what was that movie with Naomi Watts? Was it Mulholland Drive? Was that what it's called? Okay. Right. It was, like, only within the last decade, okay. maybe less than that. It was, like, such a huge talked-about scene because she masturbated. And um, I would just, like, remember, like, everybody was talking about it because it was so, like, scandalous. Oh, yeah. And now it's, like, you know, it's sometimes on TV now, which is is progress. Yeah, Yeah. and I think when it used to be talked about, it was, like, well, this is attractive for men, right? Like, men are attracted to that. But this is really about our pleasure and our, just our own experience. So... Yeah, I think I think again, these are these are really important conversations to continue to have because it is gonna change the culture for the generations to come. Yes. So Absolutely. Do you have any um books that have been particularly because uh, you were just talking about like a bunch of books that didn't work for you? Yeah. That's where you're gonna she's gonna say her own book. But um, yeah. <laughs> do you have any books in your own personal journey and it doesn't have to be specific to your physical experience, but that just have been like inspiring for you, um, that you would recommend. It's hard because I read a lot of young adult fiction. (laughs) That's That's like my favorite. Yeah. So it's like not a good answer, but I read Sarah J Moss and she has written like this throne of glass series and it's about this like female assassin. She's like a teenage, she's like 19. Um, and it, in the book, it actually talks about how painful her periods are. Wow. And for me, that was like really 
really cool because I'd never seen mention of like a period or even a really painful one before. And I love YA novels. Like I read them all the time. Like it's a way for me to escape that in reality TV. So (laughs) I really love that because I think like that just shows A, it is changing and B, like look how far we've come. Yeah. I think that's great. That's, it's important to have joy, right? So it's like, if that gives you joy, like find your joy. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And um, we just really want to thank you again for thank you. Yeah, and yeah, maybe your when journey. your book gets released, yeah, you can come back on. Oh yeah, or something. No, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, so for anybody who doesn't already follow you on the internet, where can they find you and also read your articles? Yes. So the best way to find me on the internet is just on Instagram. It's at Lara E Parker. Lara like Lara Croft. L A R A. And then buzzfeed.com slash Laura Parker is where you can find a lot of the stuff that I've written or just search Laura Parker Vagina Problems BuzzFeed. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.